Bibles with me tonight to the book of Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. And as you turn there, I do want to encourage you. I, I really do want to tell you that this Sunday at 5 p.m., it's going to be a very special evening. We're going to have the baptisms and, and really celebrate together. It's a festival-style baptisms where there's going to be food, uh, games, uh, you know, there's going to be music, different activities even for the kids. So you want to make it out to be a part of this. Whether you're getting baptized or not, this is something that we as a church collectively want to come together and celebrate new life in Christ Jesus. Now, the Bible says there is a party in heaven, a celebration in heaven, when one sinner repents. We're going to bring that party down to Downey. Now... <laughs> And we're going to celebrate on Sunday night. No, I, I, do you guys like celebrating? That didn't sound like you guys want to celebrate. Come on. We're going to celebrate new life in Jesus. I mean, we're, when you were out in the world, you, and you, know, you were celebrating. You were loud about it. What about when it comes to the grace of God? Can somebody get loud about that? Yeah. And be grateful for God's grace. We're at Genesis chapter 9. The title of the message is... God's faithful promises. And in the first 11 chapters, if you look at the book of Genesis, it's such a foundational book, but it's also a very formational book. What does that mean? That it forms, it shapes our Christian biblical worldview. It teaches us what we are to believe and stand on in regards to the truth about creation, in regards to the truth about gender, in regards to the truth about sin and marriage and life. And even today, we look at this chapter, chapter 9, and we see the truth that God has for us regarding his promises and regarding also the establishment of government, of government. And we see through this chapter that God is the God of faithful promises in new beginnings. In new beginnings. Because here in chapter 9, we see a new beginning that God has judged the world through the flood. And now these eight people that were delivered and saved from the judgment by going into the ark and obeying God, Noah and his family, are coming out of the ark to a new beginning. Reminding us that God is a God of renewal. That God is a God of restoration. That God is a God that confirms his promises to us. This is the Noahic covenant as you would read it in Scripture. And as you see that God gives us promises for a few reasons. But specifically here, you see that God gives us promises to guide us. God gives his people promises to show us his will. When you look at God's word and you open his word, know this. God has given you a promise so that he would guide you and God has given you a promise to show you his will. So we look at three different things here in chapter 9. Number one, a new beginning. Number two, a confirmed promise. And finally, a family tragedy. <laughs> three things that we see here in regards to the life of Noah. And let's read here Genesis 9, 
Verse 1, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all the now that moves on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat the flesh, its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I'll require of it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother, I'll require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he has made and made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you're faithful to your promises. We ask God that you would remind us then today that after the storm, that before the storm, that during the storm, you have specific promises for us that even when we can't see it, Lord, you are working. So we thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name, together we said, amen. Now notice here in verse 1, in the first seven verses, we notice a new beginning that God blessed Noah, and God not only blessed Noah and his sons. This was a family affair. This was a family ministry. And God's blessing was on them because he had pleasure in their obedience. Because he had pleasure on the faith of Noah and on the faith of his sons. And what does he tell them? He again tells them the same thing that God told Adam in the beginning of creation. And that was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now notice God's heart, God's intention, God's now purpose is that man would procreate and repopulate the earth. This here was the new beginning. It's the same thing that he told Adam. In fact, in verse 2, he says, And the fear of you, of man, and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, of every kind of bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea, they shall be given into your hand. Notice what he says. All of creation, all creatures, sea life, and those that now are of the earth now, of the air, everything that moves, I'm giving it into your hand. In fact, not only did he say, I'm going to give it over to your hand or, or that you would have control over it, but in verse 3, notice what it says here. Now, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So many, so many people say, well, you know what? There's some foods that we can eat and there are some foods that we cannot. Here, what God tells Noah Listen, everything that you see is under your control. And I have good news, Noah. It's all you can eat. Everything that I've given, I've given it for you. And you shall eat it. Notice in verse 3, as he says, I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Now, what does this tell us? That it was after the flood, as we look at in the beginning of Genesis, where he says that you shall eat of the herbs of the land and of the field. This is what... Pre-flood, Noah and Adam and all the population of the earth, they lived off the vegetation. 
But after the flood here, then this now new instructions that Noah and his sons are receiving, he's saying, now you can also partake even of the animals. You can eat meat now, not only vegetables. And God here in the first three verses is now giving him blessing, but also giving him stewardship. I want you to notice that because that's what's happening here. Noah is receiving God's blessing and Noah is receiving God's stewardship, that he would steward the earth and the land and the creation well. Now, notice what he gives us as instructions from God further in verse 4, because he tells them, stay holy, stay blameless, Noah. Notice what it says here, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. But I want to give you instructions. You're not going to eat any animals that still have blood in it you're not going to eat meat with blood why because blood represents life and here you see in verse 4 that god has a certain respect for life now notice as, as he continues here because it says this in verse 5 surely for your life blood i will demand a reckoning notice what he's saying here he's giving an account now for life or the life of man from the hand of every beast i will require it i will require now the blood of those that take your blood or vengeance or the life of anyone who takes your blood or another person's life including wild animals that would kill a person and from the hand of man from the hand of every man's brother i will require the life of man now, do you see here that he's establishing here capital punishment? <laughs> he says, if anyone takes your life, whether it's an animal or whether it's another person, I will require of them their life. This is the beginning of human government. He is protecting life. This is the sanctity of human life. A lot of people say, well, you know what? The Bible doesn't speak of abortion, but it does speak about life. <laughs> And God is a God that is pro-life. He is protecting and preserving the life of man. In fact, notice in verse 6, he continues, Whoever sheds man's blood by man's blood shall be shed. If anyone takes the life of a person, his life will be taken himself. And he gives specific reasons as to why God says this. I'm very serious when it comes to life. And this is what he says, notice in verse 7. For in the image of God, he made man. Why is God serious about this? Because God requires accountability for life because he created life in his own image. And if he created life in his own image, that means that there is value in life. There is purpose in life. There's a plan in every life that God's created as he created it in his own image. So he says here to kill another person you're going to be held accountable because you're directly attacking God's image. Now, notice as it speaks of it there in verse 6, it says an attack on human life, notice an attack on human life is in a direct attack on the image of God because he created life in his own image. So he's protecting here now man. He's protecting here now life against murder. And he says in verse 7, notice, and as for you, be fruitful, notice again, 
and multiply. Again, he gives them this command, this encouragement. Repopulate the earth. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Be fruitful and multiply the earth. Procreation. Now, this tells us here in only a few verses that life is precious and should be handled with care. We have to get that straight in our minds to stand on the bedrock of God's truth that God is serious about life. That's exactly why even right now all around the world and especially in our country, know this, God's going to hold accountable America for all the murders that had hap has, have happened and are happening through abortion. He is. He said, I am going to require an account for life. It's so interesting to see even today with such a liberal agenda that you hear about that the same people that are against accountability, that are against capital punishment, or the same people that are advocating for abortion, which is so contradictory. And as you read God's scripture, you see here that God is serious about protecting life. So he says, here's a new beginning. I have a value I have a purpose for life. Be fruitful and multiply. Here's the blessing. A new beginning. But let's look at verse 18 because you see a confirmed promise there. Not only a new beginning, when God gives new beginnings, how graceful and giving and generous God is in his goodness. His goodness is so generous that as you have a new beginning, you know what he also gives you? With every beginning, a promise. A promise. And here's the promise here. It says in verse 8, then God spoke to Noah. You want to receive God's promises? Then you need to hear from God. You can't say I'm walking by God's promises if you never open the Bible. That's how God speaks to you. In prayer, you speak to God. In, as you open the Bible, he speaks to you. A lot of times people say, you know what? Well, I talk to God every night. I have a relationship with God. I talk to him every night. You know what my favorite question is? Oh, really? What did he tell you? Because if you're talking to him, that means he's saying something too. And the only re way that you can find out what he's saying is if you open the Bible. <laughs> this is what he's saying. When you open the Bible every single day at your home, in your quiet time with the Lord, it is God speaking to you. And if you want to live by promises, then you need to open the word of God. Notice, it has been said before, we don't live by explanations. You know how we live? We live by promises. God's people do not live by explanations. We live by promises, and God confirms his promise to Noah. Now, notice what he says in verse 8. God spoke to Noah and to his sons. I love this, that he continues to include his sons. Fathers today, leaders of home, notice this. You should be teaching your children how to hear the voice of God. How is God going to speak to your sons if you've never taught them how to listen to his voice? I don't want you to circle that and his sons. And notice what he says, with him saying. This is incredible here. And as for me, notice what he says, behold, I will establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. As for me, God says, I will establish or I will confirm my covenant 
with you and with your descendants after you. Why does God give promises? Why does God establish covenants? Why does he do that? Because a covenant speaks of what God uses in order to have a relationship with us. What is a covenant for? Because he wants a relationship with us. God gives us promises because he wants a relationship with you. Notice that. Write that down. Memorize that tonight. God gives you promises because he wants a relationship with you. That's why he gives you a promise. And his promises, notice, I love this about God's faithfulness. His promises are based on his faithfulness, not yours. How many of us can be grateful for that, that God's promises are based on his faithfulness, not yours? That means that he keeps his promises. And not only is he promising it to Noah and his sons, but also to all creation. In verse 10, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, and all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, I'm going to give you a covenant now. Today we have a covenant relationship with God as well. And the covenant relationship that we have with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. That by believing in him, he will cleanse us of our sins. We will be right with the Father, and by it, we will have everlasting life. That is the covenant relationship that we have with him. Now, God is not only, not only will make a promise, and this is incredible here because this is what we're going to see, he will also give you confirmation of it in his word. And that's exactly one of the things that we need when receiving God's promises, when, when stepping out in faith, to receive confirmation from his word. And this is exactly what he's doing. He's confirming the promise. Again, why is confirmation important for us as we navigate in our spiritual walk with the Lord? You know what confirmation gives you? Number one, peace. Peace. Confirmation from God gives you peace. Note that tonight, please, that you would know that. Confirmation gives you peace. But confirmation from God's word, you know what it also does for you? It also guides you. It gives you now direction. It gives you direction. His confirmation gives you direction. But finally, number three, what is confirmation also does for you, it, it also gives you courage so that you're not afraid. So that you're not afraid. And notice here, when he's, when he's about to confirm the promise, I, I, this is what we have to know about God, and notice this about his character, that God is not the God of confusion. God is the God of confirmation. God doesn't confuse us. God confirms to us through his word. We just need to seek his word. You know, so many times God's people are confused or they're lost. There's nothing worse than a lost Christian. We used to be lost. Now we're found because of God's grace. And we should stay on the path we should stay on God's will. We should stay right where God wants us by going to receive his confirmation through his word to give us peace, to give us direction, and to give us courage. Now notice what he says in verse 11. This is where he confirms it here. Verse 11, thus I establish my covenant with you. And he uses these two words together, never again. I want you to circle that in your Bible because he says it three th times. This is the first time. Never again will the floodwaters kill all living creatures or be cut off by the waters of the flood. 
never again shall he judge all the flesh and they will be cut off by the waters of the flood. He's saying, I never will destroy all flesh through a flood. First time, never again. And then he says it one more time in that verse. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now we've seen many floods, but here he's referring to a global flood. Do you see that? It says the earth. Notice in the Bible there in verse 11. Never again will there be a flood that will destroy the earth. First, I'll never destroy all flesh with a flood. And I'll never destroy the entire earth with a flood. And I'm going to give you a sign so that you can trust my promises. <laughs> you see how God leads Noah and sons every step of the way? <laughs> Notice in verse 12 how he gives them this sign in verse 12. And God said, I love this again, and God said. Noah's hearing from God. This is the sign of the promise covenant which I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Now God's promises here, we're learning in verse 12, that they are promises that never end to all generations. These are promises that we inherit and the generations before us enjoyed and those after us will receive to all generations. They're perpetual. That means they, they transcend generations from one generation to the other. Verse 14, notice what it continues. It says, it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth or when you see rain, notice, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. Now, that's what we see. When you find a rainbow in the cloud, what do you see? God's sign. And this is God's sign of God's promises. This is God's binding agreement with us. Every time you see a rainbow, notice what you can remember. God's binding agreement that he will not destroy all flesh ever or he will not destroy all the earth ever with the flood. This is a rainbow that appears after the storm. Now, you know what the rainbow symbolizes? What is it a sign of? What is this promise a sign of? It's a sign of God's mercy. <laughs> it's, a God, it's a sign of God's compassion on all. Every time you see a rainbow, notice what you can think of. That's God's mercy on us. That's God's compassion on us. That is God's grace that never again will he judge the earth with a flood. It describes God's promises to us. But notice as you continue reading, because it says in verse 13, if we look back at it, it says, I will set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign at the covenant between me and the earth. As you read that verse, I want you to look at verse 13, the beginning of it, and circle the word my. Because it says, God said, it is my rainbow. Now, that's something that the world doesn't know, doesn't think. Don't tell me the rainbow belongs to homosexuality because it doesn't. He said, it is my rainbow. It belongs to God. And you know why the devil has tried to distort the rainbow? Notice this. Because it represents to the world God's grace. 
Because it represents to the world God's mercy. Because it represents to the world God's love and God's compassion. So the devil, you know what he's done? Let me twist this. But God says in his word, no, that's not your rainbow. That's my rainbow. (laughs) And it represents the love of God. You see, we should, as we look to God's word, recognize that. Recognize God's mercy. Recognize God's compassion. Recognize God's promises. And notice what he says in verse 15. And I will remember. This is incredible. God doesn't forget. You know what is incredible? That when you look at a rainbow, you know who also can see it? God can see it. (laughs) And you are looking both at God's promises at the same time. You are looking at God's promises at the same time. And you are reminding him, God, this is what you said. (laughs) And my son, he's four years old. And every time I say something, he is so quick to remind me what I said. If I promise we're going to do something, he will remind me what I, if you want someone to keep you accountable, it's him. He'll remind you what you said. And notice here in verse 15, God is saying, I'm never going to forget. I'm never going to forget what I said. You can trust what I have said. And it says there in verse 15, notice he he, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of the flesh. The waters shall never again. This is the third time. Never again. God is saying, never again, I promise you, will you experience this type of judgment by flood. And become a flood to destroy all flesh. Verse 16, it says, the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it. This is incredible. God is looking on it. To remember the everlasting covenant. God looks at it so that he would remember now and says, never forget God's grace and everlasting covenant. Now, first, he describes his promises as one that are perpetual, and then he describes his covenant as one that are everlasting. Notice how God's word never changes. It doesn't matter. Things are going to change. The world is going to change. Culture is going to change. Heaven and earth will pass away. But what did he say? My word will by no means pass away. It's perpetual and it's everlasting. Between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth, And God said to Noah, I I mean, you should underline every time it says, and God said to Noah, because they're talking. They're having fellowship here. This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This rainbow is the sign that I've established my covenant to you. This is a sign of God's grace. God's promises, God's rainbow is a sign of God's grace. Now, even as you look at a rainbow, you understand that it has many colors. It's a many colored, the rainbow that God has given us. And just like it has many colors, the Bible also tells us that God's grace is many colored or it's manifold. God's grace is so rich that God's grace is beautiful for us to Enjoy. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, And each one has received the gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold or many-colored 
grace of God. As you look at the different colors of the rainbow, you also see the manifold grace of God. In fact, God has given us the rainbow to give us peace that even as we're going through the storm, he's with us. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, you can note this verse. God promises the nation of Israel this, when you pass through the waters. What did Noah do? He passed through the waters. Isn't it amazing to, as you read God's word, you know that he's promising you. It's not if you'll pass through the waters, when you pass through the waters. You will go through them. But you're just passing through. You're going to come out of it. I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow. You may find yourself in a storm right now. It's not going to overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Now, the Bible speaks of three different rainbows throughout Scripture that we can remember and take note of. The first one that we see, it's in Genesis, where Noah saw the rainbow after the storm. You see that Noah sees the rainbow in Genesis chapter 9 after the storm. But in Ezekiel chapter 1, it said that the prophet Ezekiel, he saw the rainbow through a vision during the storm. (laughs) During the storm. In the book of Revelation, John the Apostle, the third reference of a rainbow, he sees the rainbow. Notice when he sees it, of God's promises, God's faithfulness before the storm of judgment. So whether you see it after the storm, during the storm, or before the storm, you can always remember that God is faithful and he will never leave you. You can remember it. Every time you're going through a storm of life, remember that. That you can always see God's promises if you look by faith. If you look by faith, maybe right now you're going through a storm and you say, you know what, I am overwhelmed, I'm broken. I'm going through a storm right now in my family. You're going through a storm right now in your personal life. Maybe during the storm, God wants to show you his promises. Or he prepares you for the storm. Before the storm, you go to the the word of God. Or even after you've come out of the storm, you notice you recognize the promises of God. And you realize in his promises this, that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the promises of God. Realizing that. Now we're going to see here, even in the next few verses, from 18 to 29, the end of Noah's life now. The end of Noah's life. You know, it was said of the president of, one of the presidents of Moody Bible College Institute, that they had a, a president there that often would close his prayers, his public prayers at least, with the words, and Lord, help us to end well. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, would you help us to end well? In Jesus' name, amen. What an example. And Lord, help us to end well. I want to ask you this. Are you going to end well? Because here you see how Noah ended. How Noah ended. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives the parable of the wise as the faithful of the good servant. And you notice what he says. Well done, good and faithful servant. He ended his life well. 
Here we receive a warning at the end of Noah's life for fathers, for mothers, for leaders, for those serving the Lord, a warning that, so that you don't run a good race, but then fail at the finish line. Now, I want you to pay attention to that because there are many people that run a good race, but then fail at the finish line. Are you going to finish well? Are you going to finish well? Because even a righteous man, a preacher of righteousness like Noah, who was saved, only eight. If a, if a preacher of righteousness like Noah, who was saved through the flood of judgment, if even he can fall, so can you. I want you to know this and write this in your notes today. Even a righteous man can fall. Remember that. Don't think that you can't fall. The moment that you think that you can't fall, you're about to fall. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. That is the worst person you can trust is self. Self will always fail you. Do not trust the flesh. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what does it tell us? To take heed. In fact, he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands, you think you're so strong, you think you're stand, take heed, lest he what? Fall. And the Bible tells it like it is. It tells it like it is. It speaks of Noah as a preacher of righteousness, but also tells us of Noah at his worst. It speaks of David anointed, but also it speaks of David as a murderer and adulterer. It speaks of everyone when they were in the mountaintop with God and also on the valley low of compromise. And notice what happens here because we saw a new beginning. Because we saw even not only that new beginning that, that they had experienced with the Lord, we saw a confirmed promise. And now we're looking at this family tragedy. Notice what it says here in verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Remember that. And they repopulated the earth. These were the sons of Noah and from whom these, the whole earth was populated. But something happens now. We're going to look at the generations next week in chapter 10, but something happens here in verse 20. And Noah began to be a farmer. So what does he say? After the flood, he starts to repopulate the earth. He becomes a farmer. He starts to plant. He sows seed. It grows. He has a vineyard. And notice what happens here. He planted a vineyard, and then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Now, there are two sides to this that we look at oftentimes, but neglect the other. But what happened here? He became drunk, and he was naked, or he was uncovered in his own tent. Here speaks, number one, if we look at it, just this verse, the dangers of alcohol in a person's life, when they lose self-control, and it leads, notice, it can lead to sinful and shameful consequences of drunkenness. What was his sin? His sin was that he became drunk. I want you to look at that verse and read that he became drunk. What does it mean? He crossed the line. He abused the liberty in his vineyard. He was addicted to it. 
and he became drunk. This is the foolishness, the irresponsibility of compromise of sin in the tent. In the tent. Uh, now, I want you to look at this. Because some people say, you know what, I have the liberty to drink in my own home. Well, it says here that, that he thought he did, and he got drunk in his tent. For those that say, well, I can do it in the privacy of my own home. Be careful, because you don't know who's ever going to walk in on you. It said that his kids saw him. Now, I want you to see this here. Because there's a danger in that. What, what does Proverbs say? Chapter 20, verse 1, to those that, that want to say, I want to have a little casual drink. I want to be a sipping saint. I'm going to get some people upset tonight. I hope I, hope I get you mad tonight. I, I, I pray that I, you know what, but, but that you don't leave the same. But that you don't compromise. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever's led astray by it is not wise. Ephesians 5.18, what does Paul say? And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. It's going to ruin your life. But be filled with the Spirit. What kind of example do you think that you're giving to people, especially those in your tent, who are not spiritually strong? Who are not spirit maybe you say that i have that liberty but if they're weak spiritually what kind of example are you giving to those in your tent because something very shameful happens here there's a disrespect there's here a dishonor there's a disregard in verse 22 as he continues it says and ham the father of canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Here comes Ham, his son, and he sees his father uncovered. Noah got drunk, took off his clothes, was there uncovered in his tent, in a shameful state. And what does Ham do? He mocks his father in disrespect, lacking dignity in the humiliation. Now, we as fathers, I want you to know this as parents, as leaders, don't compromise even in your own tent because you don't know when someone's going to walk in on you. Number two, notice this. Number two, your children are watching you. Your children are watching. No, please, note that. Your children, it said that Ham, his son, walked in and saw him drunk. Your children are watching you. So don't cause them to stumble. Are you causing your children to stumble because you're taking a drink here and there? Maybe you're not even getting drunk, but you're taking a drink. I, I, I see so many parents say it's sad that before it wasn't tolerated, there was a respect for holiness in the home, in the family, and, and now we compromise in the name of connecting with our kids. Don't think that you're connecting with them if you're having a drink with them. You're not connecting. You know what you're doing? You're compromising with your children now. Don't compromise your convictions in the name of connecting with your children. Show them that you're a man and woman of God, that you're not going to do that with them. You're not called to be your son's and your daughter's buddy or friend. You know what you're called? To be a father. To be a mother. And his son was stumbled. 
And his son was stumbled. It says that he told his two brothers outside. You know what his son was? Quick and impulsive. <laughs> and you know what his son does here? He didn't protect his father's reputation. He was quick to expose his father's sin and shame. He wanted to expose him. In fact, that word where it says told, it means told with delight. He wanted to go and say, look at my father. He told his two other brothers. Look at what our dad looks like. He's mocking him. He's undermining his authority as a man of God. You know what happens when you compromise in front of your children? You lose spiritual authority. You lose spirit. Don't think that you can be the spiritual authority once you compromise. You lost it. Don't lose the spiritual authority in your tent. He made him stumble. Notice what happens here now. And he goes out and exposes his father's shame. Now, there's another lesson, another side of this that we need to remember is that how people respond to sin and embarrassment in the life of others, it's an indication of their character. When you find someone that has sinned or you find someone that's done something shameful, don't go telling other people. You know what Ham could have done here? He could have gone, seen his father, quietly covered the body of his father that was uncovered without saying nothing about the incident in honor and respect to his father and not expose his father's nakedness. In Proverbs 14, it says, fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. He, you know what he was doing? He was making fun of his dad. He was making fun of his dad's guilt. In Proverbs 10, 12, it says, hatred stirs up conflict, but lover, love covers all wrongs. He didn't look at his dad with love. He looked at his dad with guilt and with shame on his father. But notice his two brothers that were wise. And notice what they did. They protected their father. This is how we need to protect the family. Don't be going telling your family's business to everyone. Don't be good telling the, the, the world the problems that take place in the ministry or the church. Protect the church. You know what's sad to see? When Christians fight in public. You're bringing a black eye to the church. Don't do that. Protect the church. Don't try to, it's not your job to expose anyone. You know who, whose work is that? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's so many people in social media today that think that it's their God-given calling to expose other people. It's not. You're not the Holy Spirit. And notice what it says here now, that his sons did, it says in in verse 22, and he told his two brothers, but Shem and Jephna took the garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. This is what we should do for one another. Cover the nakedness of the shame and the guilt of other people. You know what covers guilt and shame in other people's life? What covers guilt and shame in someone else's life is love. And it says not only that they did this, it says their faces were turned away. And they didn't see their father's nakedness. They said, we don't even want to look at our father in that state. This is a virtuous example in the family to protect one another. Now, I want you to know this. Love doesn't cleanse sin. Love doesn't cleanse sin. Only the blood of Jesus cleanses sin. Love doesn't condone sin either. 
Love doesn't cleanse sin. Love doesn't condone sin. But you know what love does? Love does cover sin. It covers the guilt. It covers the shame. And it doesn't go around exposing people's sin. It doesn't go around encouraging others to spread the bad news. And some people, they find out someone falls. And you know what? The first thing they want to do, they want to tell everyone else, look at that brother fell. Is that how you want them to treat you if you fall? The Bible says the same judgment they use on other people, it's going to be used on you. 1 Peter 4.8, what does it say? Above all these things, put on fervent love because love is going to cover a multitude of sin. If you love that person, you're not going to shame them. If you love that person, you're not going to make them feel guilty. In fact, what does it say in Proverbs 17.9? He who covers transgression seeks love. Love is the approach and maturity is the goal. Note that tonight, please. Love is the approach and maturity is the goal. We should not try to expose other people's sins. What did Jesus say in Matthew 17? Or in Matthew 7 on the Sermon of the Mount? He said, what about you who are looking at the speck in your brother's eye? But you have a big two-by-four sticking out of yours. Why don't you go take care of that first? And the self-righteousness and the pride, humble yourself and then come and try to help your brother. When we learn about other people's sin, you know what is our responsibility to do? To, in the spirit of gentleness, in the spirit of humility, to restore them. To, in the spirit of gentleness, in the spirit, not publicly shame them. In Galatians 6, Verses 1 and 2, it says, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. But notice what Paul has said. If anyone's overtaken by any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. How are you to do it in the spirit of gentleness? You know, it's been said before that on the battlefield, Christians are prone to kick their wounded. <laughs> Don't kick the wounded. Don't argue in public with Christians. In the spirit of humility and gentleness. And then in verse here, 24, Sanoa woke from his wine and knew that his younger son, what his younger son had done to him. Noah wakes up. And notice what it says, younger. He was immature. He was zealous, inexperienced. And he said, curse be Canaan. Canaan is who? His own children of Ham, who shamed their father. A servant of servants, he shall be to his brother. Notice, he is going to be shamed. He's going to be a servant of servants. In fact, the Canaanites later are the ones that were overtaken by Joshua in the promised land as the lowest servants, for shaming his father and for dishonoring, for unwilling to keep it to himself, for disrespecting and not seeking love. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, but his other two sons. He didn't bless them. You know what he blessed? The God of Shem. But praise God, the God of Shem, who seeks compassion 
who seeks love, who seeks reconciliation, who seeks restoration. And may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jaffa. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. There are consequences for going out and shaming your brother or your sister or your family. Don't shame your family. Protect your family. Protect the ministry. Protect the body of Christ. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. You know, in our walk with God, we climb hills, and sometimes we descend to valleys. We climb hills, and sometimes we descend to valleys. But notice the victorious Christian life. You know what it is? It's a series of new beginnings. And today we can have a new beginning because of the promises of God. Amen. Let's pray.